All right. Well, we're here this morning. Uh, another um, time with Michelle Wartner. Michelle, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Uh, T. Randolph and friends, we're talking about depression today. Um, for those of you who've listened to uh, my podcast before, I've had Michelle as a guest. She was also at our October event last year where we talked about how God loves versus how man loves. And today we're going to tackle a topic that has really been on my heart, I, I know with Michelle too, and that's the topic of depression. Um, as you're listening, we're, we're probably going to go about 25 or 30 minutes, maybe longer depending on how we get led. Um, I'm asking God to really bless what we're doing today because I know there are so many people out there who are suffering from depression. And before we get started, Michelle, what if someone were listening and they are listening, how do you define depression? What, what does that really mean? Randy, if you were going to clinically define depression and say they had a clinical depression, it would be that they had a sad, low, blue mood for the majority of the day for at least two weeks in a row. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Uh, so feeling very down and feeling like they can't get themselves out of it. Um, however, a lot of folks who um, suffer from bipolar and major depressive disorder it goes even further than that, and it's a feeling that the person has that they just cannot pull themselves out no matter how hard they try. What would be some of the outward appearances of depression that if you were a family member or a friend, mm -hmm. what would be some of the things that you, you could look for if you, if you thought someone might be in a depressive state? Well, I think um, some things that we see quite often is that um, the person might start isolating themselves from individuals or from work, things that they generally engaged in. Um, they'll be sleeping more or less than they used to sleep. So their sleep patterns are way off. Their eating patterns may also be way off. Again, some people uh, just don't even think about eating food at all, and other people overcompensate by eating way too much. Um, we often see it hand-in-hand hand with very high anxiety. These two are kind of like evil stepsisters that go together. So thoughts might be racing, and they're dwelling in usually a very uh, dark, negative place. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> now for me, depression... Again, I'm kind of I'm a layperson here. You're, you're the right. expert. Depression to me is a situation that I see with people where I think they conclude wrongfully that they don't have any meaning. What they're doing doesn't matter. They really can't impact people in a positive way, and they just give up on life. Mm -hmm. Do you see that happen with people? What you're talking about specifically, Randy, is um, Aaron Beck's depression triad. And uh, he was a psychiatrist who many years ago came upon a theory that there were three things that were involved and that we saw in all incidences of clinical depression. And I kind of look at them as the three Ps. One would be personalizing things. Nobody likes me. I'm no good. I never get anything done. I'm such a loser. Um, the second thing would be things are pervasive. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, no matter who I talk to, no matter what month it is, no matter what year. And the third thing is that it's permanent. I can't change this. Nothing I ever do works right. And so you put those three things together and you're going to be depressed. 
There's no way around it. Right. You know, it's funny. Um, I am going to I'm going to tackle technology again. People who listen to this blog know that <clears throat> I appreciate technology. I know that we need it, but I think technology is kind of like one of the evil stepsisters. Um, I think for 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 I, I'm going to say the population aged. I was going to say 15 and older, but I think now it's probably 10 or older because kids are getting phones and technology so much sooner than than yeah, they you used could even to. go down from maybe there, even yeah. lower huh mm-hmm, yeah but what's concerning to me what i think and i just see him with my son and and his friends and my daughter and her friends is what's happening out there is what used to be a situation in a classroom where you would bully somebody maybe it just happened in a classroom it'd be over in five minutes today it's on facebook on social media twitter texting, email. So what would have been maybe a three-minute event now is uh, maybe a three-hour event, a three-day event, maybe a three-month event. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not one of those kids who happen to be in the in crowd or the the good-looking crowd or the athlete crowd or whatever crowd it is, you can get beat up pretty fast. And Mm -hmm. I think it's pervasive. And Michelle, when you see that going on right now, what would be some things that you could share with people who are listening who are a younger audience to help them understand how to deal with these events when they occur, but also how to realize uh, who they really are in God's eyes and why they should not allow these events to basically take over their Mm -hmm. life for a period of time, Mm -hmm. causing them depression potentially? Right. Well, one of the things that they need to know is that the person doing the criticizing isn't really saying anything about them, but they're completely revealing who they are as an individual. That's a, a, that's a deep point. As a critical individual. So really the person who's doing the bullying, it's really about them. Yes. And it's really not about the person on the receiving end. Not even 1%. I mean, but, but when you're 12, 13, 14, even people at 40, 50, 60, if you don't have a super strong sense of self, do you realize that? You know, so... They're again going back to that isolation that the child needs to be able to reach out to their parents, let them know what's happening, expose what's happening, talk to the people at school about what's happening. And, you know, my recommendation is until they have, you know, such a strong sense of self that they really can handle that, don't put them on social media. Parents have got to be in charge of these things. And uh, a lot of times the kids demand, you know, well, everyone else is doing it, but we grew up with that as well. We heard that. For different reasons when we were younger. Yeah, I want to follow up on it again for those who are listening. If you're a parent, really think long and hard before you give your child that mobile phone or that mobile device or the smart device because you're really handing handing them something that's quite serious. It's not just the texting. It's not just the access to the internet with everything that that pretends right. to have right right but the the whole notion is it's it's kind of like uh, the best way i can say it is it's uncensored thoughts now in our country we believe in free speech and we want everybody to be able to say what they want to say but you know an adult who's 50 years old might hear something and they can take it what much more 
than maybe uh, someone hopefully. who's 13 or 14. Or, yeah, hopefully. hopefully. But sometimes when you're younger, you hear something for the first time, and it's shocking, and mm-hmm. it really can do a number on your psyche. Well, not only that, Randy, and it's not even the bullying piece of it, but when a child posts a picture online and they look at these, you know, thumbs up and like – I like you. You know, they look at the other kids. So-and-so got 97 likes for a picture they posted. No one's posted on my picture yet. Mm-hmm. No one likes me. How do you deal? How, what would your advice be to those who are listening? How do you deal with that when that happens? I mean, how should you how should you look at something like that? Well, again, I mean, you know, they, and there again, the should, the word should, we can choose to look at things in different ways. So there isn't any one particular way, but understanding that it's kind of like an online popularity poll, and that maybe only 2% of the kids in high school are going to fall under that flag. Mm -hmm. And everybody else, you know, we're just a bunch of people struggling to kind of get through everything and find ourselves and do all that. So it again, it's a a thought processes of whether or not we want to let them on there in the first place. You know, do they have the maturity, the emotional maturity to be able to handle all the implications that come from having a site like that. Those who are listening, uh, regardless of your age, depression, I think, is a factor of a number of things. We, we talk first about maybe just social media or how people react to you, what people say to you, what you start to believe or about yourself. Yeah. And so many times, depression is the result of what, what I'm, I, I, I used to see a therapist, and he said, Randy, you know what fear is? False expectations appearing real. And what he would tell me is, you know, most of the time you're worried about stuff that's fake or false and it's deceptive. It's never, never going to happen. Right. You, you're, you're all worried and all uh, bound up in this thing that could happen in the future. And most of the time it never happens. And if something does happen, it's really wilted or it's very watered down mm-hmm. from what you think could be the outcome. So the first mm-hmm. thing he used to say to me is think about that. And then the other thing that, that I'm going to talk about the Lord for a minute is for those who are listening, whether you believe in Christ or you don't believe in Christ, you need to know this. First of all, you're made in God's image. Simply because you're made in God's image, that's one of the number one things you're being joyful every single day. And number two, there's nothing that can't be accomplished if you have God by your side. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have this idea when we're walking in this life or in this world that we're walking it alone and you're not. Mm-hmm. Anytime you ask the Lord to be with you, he's there with you. Mm-hmm. You have a problem, he'll be there with you. Mm-hmm. It may not happen the way you want it to. It may not happen as fast as you want it to. It may not happen exactly the way you think it should happen. But you need to trust in God because he has a plan for you and his plan will not be frustrated. Mm-hmm. And he wants what's best for you. You know, um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I hear this a lot. God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, and plans not to harm you. Mm-hmm. So kids, if you're listening, young adults, even adults, um, look yourself in the eye, look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm a child of God and he loves me and I can do all things with him. Well, Randy, and I think to your point about the expectations and through God is that, you know, in this culture and particularly in America, you know, 21st century, people expect to be happy all the time. They think that that is some kind of God-given right, and they look at other people and other people's expressions, especially when they're younger, and think, oh, they're having fun, they're popular, they're doing this, they're doing that. They don't know what goes on behind closed doors. 
They don't know what's going on in that individual's head. And they also don't know, and fortunately this is something that I hope we learn with maturity over time, is that the difficult, stressful um, things are put in our lives to sharpen us, to hone us, to make us wiser, to make us more appreciative, to make us more grateful. And so if we can come to appreciate the difficult things that happen, Buddhists actually pray that bad things will happen to them so they can evolve as they go onward in life. If we can try and develop that type of perspective, then when difficult things happen, we embrace them we take action, we work through them, and we come up higher rather than saying, poor me, why me, and feeling as though we've been singled out. Right. You know, there's an acronym out there. It's called FOMO, fear of missing out. Uh, I, I never saw that until recently. saw it on television. I go, what is that? Yeah. Fear of missing out. Huh. And some people have this idea that, well, if I'm not with all the kids all the time, or if I'm not with all my friends all the time, or if I'm not with all my buddies all the time, or my girlfriends all the time, I'm missing out. And why do they not want me there? And why wasn't I invited? And maybe it's because I'm not good looking, or maybe it's because I'm no fun or whatever. So be very, very careful about some of the things that you um, may say to yourself, because sometimes we say things to ourselves that are not true. Coming out of the fact that we do have our humanness. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes to this idea of isolationism. Michelle mentioned it earlier. If you are feeling um, a certain way, maybe you're not feeling so good or you're not feeling maybe a sense of self-worth, like Michelle said, go to your parents, go to a good friend, go to a healthy outlet, someone who can hear you. And confidentially hear what you're saying when you're vulnerable and hopefully be a cheerleader for you and help guide you. Would you agree with that, Michelle? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, Randy, just recently the passing of Robin Williams and uh, how tragic that was with him taking his own life. Um, that uh, folks need to know if they hear anyone uh, around them talk about suicide, that that is a red flag, and that they need to immediately speak to that person, hone in, get that person help. They can get them admitted to a hospital, call the police, call their family, call their parents, um, but definitely take that serious because that's uh, usually a cry for help. You know, I... After his passing, I posted something on Facebook because I've always been fascinated when they talk about the percentages of people who suffer from depression. And they'll say, you know, a one in three people is likely to suffer depression during the course of their lifetime. I always have to kind of laugh and shake my head and think, okay, where did they get these statistics? Because literally, Randy, past the age of about 40, I don't know one adult who has not suffered a bout of depression, who hasn't gone through a divorce, had an illness with a child, um, had struggles in their marriage, lost a parent, been in an accident, uh, had financial issues. We're human. We live on this planet. The great things aren't promised until we're with our father in the next life. But right now, we're human. We're on this planet. And so it's kind of how we fortify ourselves and what we do to help ourselves and to help prevent depression in ourselves and the people around us before we do move on to that next right. life. 
Right. Yeah, I was, I'd say, too, just a second, what Michelle just said. If someone mentions to you that they are depressed or if they ever mention they're thinking about taking their own life or doing harm to themselves, take that seriously. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when someone says that, you don't really need to worry, but, a big but, there are times when, of course, they're going to act like Robin Williams did or other people in my own life that I mm-hmm. have known who did say they were going to do something like that, and they, in fact, did. Mm-hmm. So people out there, if you hear someone and they tell you that, take it seriously. Every and, time. And make sure that you uh, don't discount what they're saying because mm-hmm. more likely than not, nothing's going to happen, but there are high incidences of when it does happen. and it, They mean it when they say it. Absolutely. What I want to do is I'm going to weave some stuff from the Bible um, into our conversation. And one of the people I want to talk about right now is King David. Uh, God said that David was a man after his own heart. I'm going to read something to you um, here um, that comes right out of Samuel. But when you hear this, think about (laughs) what this guy did and what... um, and what God says, he's a man after my own heart. I'll, I'll tee it up with this. David uh, was the king. He was very successful in warfare. There came a time where um, he was fat and happy. Uh, the kingdom was secure in Jerusalem. He's got his army out fighting. It's in the summertime. He's on the rooftop of his, of his uh, palace. And he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman bathing at her place and uh, decides he wants her. He finds sense for her. He finds out that she's married, and um, she's married to one of the men in his army who's fighting for David on the front lines. So David figures out that he wants her, and the only way he can get her is he's got to send her husband to the to the front lines. Um, it's a longer story than that, but I'm giving you the short version. Sends him in the front lines. Once he's in the front lines, he tells the other soldiers to withdraw, so he's by himself, and he gets killed. He takes her as his wife. They have a child. And he thinks that he's gotten away with everything. Lied to people, gotten people drunk, had him killed, fornicated with her, everything. Now, in Israel at that time, they had a prophet. His name was Samuel. And Samuel comes to David and tells him, I have a problem I want to share with you. I want to get your advice on it. David says, okay, what is it? He says, well, there was a guy, there's a guy in the kingdom, he's got a lot of sheep, and he's got a big spread, and he's got lots of money, he's got everything he wants. And there's another guy, he's only got one sheep. And the guy with all the sheep stole the sheep from the guy that only had one and took it. And David erupts and says, bring me that person, he deserves to die. And here's what Nathan says to him. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. These are Saul's wives. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah, that was his, uh, the wife, uh, the husband of the wife, the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight 
What you did in secret, I will do in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, there's more I want to share here because this is all about depression. Saul was the first king that the Jewish people had. And they wanted a king. God didn't want to give him a king, but they said, we want a king, just like the other nations. So he gave him Saul. Saul went crazy, and then David was the next king. David was chased by Saul for 10 years. Saul wanted to kill him. David had to hide out in caves. David had to hide in a desert. David had to actually pretend he was crazy at one point and go to work for the Philistines as a mercenary. My point is, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, those of you who are not, I'll just tell you this. Most of Psalms is about depression. If you read it, because what it's about is David saying, you anointed me king, but all I know is I'm hiding in caves. I don't have any food. I have all these king's armies trying to kill me. And all I am doing night and day is worry that I'm going to be dead in the morning. So the Lord, of course, allowed that, like you mentioned, people go through some tough stuff sometime to help them learn about what God wants out of them. And then, Michelle, I'm going to read a little bit more, and then I want to hear what mm-hmm. you, what your thoughts are. So, okay, here we are. David had depression. God saved him from Saul. He gets rich. He gets fat. He gets happy. And then here's what David does. And just in one situation, he lies. He's a murderer. He's a fornicator. He's an adulterer. He's every single thing that God says you don't want to be. So then what happens is this. Oh, here's what also Nathan said to him. He says, but because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. So what's happening is when David does all this, the heavenly host, Satan, his minions, all the enemies of the Lord, they're laughing at God saying, this is a guy after your own heart. He's the king of Israel. You put him up here and look how the guy repays you. He kills, he murders, he fornicates, he lies, he does everything. So they're laughing at God. But of course, God will not be mocked. So then here's what happens. Uh, and then I want to, we're going to talk a little bit about this. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. Depression. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among them, and he realized the child was dead. He said, is the child dead? They said, yes. Here's the interesting thing. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. So when we see what David's doing here, is he exhibiting things that we talked about that people who are in depression Will oh, do. definitely. Oh, definitely. And I mean, you know, there's two uh, different types of depression as well. There's situational depression. 
that comes from things that happen, such as the loss of a child. Um, and there's depression that comes that's just um, more chronic and insidious. It will come out of nowhere and grasp a person, and they don't know what the origins of that are. Mm-hmm. But definitely when they talk about him laying on the ground, when they talk about him not eating, when they talk about him refusing to talk to people, when they talk about him isolating. And, you know, quite often depression does come as a result of poor choices that we've made. But on the other hand, not always, right? Because we're on this human planet where things can happen to us, but we still have a choice as to how we deal with everything. And I think one of the things for me, Randy, as a therapist that is exciting that they've found in probably the last 50 years or so with cognitive behavioral therapy is that it is our thoughts and our behaviors that determine our feelings, not the other way around. We used to think, I feel this way, therefore I'm going to act this way, I'm going to talk this way. But in reality, the thoughts and the behaviors come before the feelings. Let me give you an example. If you heard me saying, Oh, I, I just, I'm so upset about everything. Nothing I ever do is right. Why can't I get everything right? I'm such a loser. I'm just, God, I just, I get so frustrated with myself. How do you feel when you hear me talk that way? What is your feeling? My feeling? Yeah, what do you feel? I feel bad for you. Okay, so you feel- I feel like you're, you're saying some things that are negative mm-hmm. and potentially a base for self-destructive behavior. Okay, so- If on the other hand, my thoughts are, wow, that was really interesting. Okay, it didn't go well, but I'm going to do better next time. I think I'm going to try something a little different. Um, I'm going to put, you know, three or four different options down, and I'm going to try the next one and see how that goes. And I'm just going to go down the list until I finally get it right. Now, how do you feel when you hear me? I, I hear someone who's got courage. I hear someone who is positive. I hear someone who understands that there was failure, but they also understand that you need to fail sometimes before you succeed. So it's not really, in a sense, when we understand it's not what happens to us, it's what we think about what happens to us. Right. We've all seen people who fall down and never get back up. We've also seen people who fall down and bounce like a yo-yo, and they're resilient. And part of that resiliency are the thoughts that we think in our heads. In terms of depression, as a therapist, um, one of the tasks we take in CBT is getting a person to really examine their thoughts. And uh, they generally don't like the first exercise I'm going to give them, which is to take a little notebook like you have right there and a pen. And every time you have an automatic negative thought, something that just goes through your head that it wasn't in the front of your head, it's in the back of your head, it's subconscious, you think it, and it's negative, we'll have them write it down. We have them journal that way for a week. And usually they'll fill two or three pads. I mean, I'm not kidding. It's all the things that go through. That's never going to work. What if they don't call? That's going to cost me a fortune. Why did that have to break now? I mean, things go on and on and on and on. The exercise in the next couple of weeks is to look at that thought and to examine that thought and then to tell ourselves what is really the truth about what we wrote down. 
for instance, because we lie to ourselves a lot, right. Randy. Right, we talked about that, yes. Yeah, so if we look at that thought, and the thought is, I'm such a loser. Now we've got to look at that comment and say, okay, what's the real truth behind that? Truth is, that time things didn't work out, but it's going to be better next time around, okay? So we write that thought on the other side of the paper, and we start looking at how really it is our interpretation of things that happen to us that determine how we feel. The one thought, I'm a loser, makes me depressed. The other thought, well, it didn't go well this time, next time I'm going to do better, makes me hopeful, makes me... And that is 100% controllable by us. But in saying that, it's not the least bit easy. It's incredibly difficult. Difficult. Patience, lots of practice, and, you know, developing a really good attitude about it. The other thing, too, I'll just mention uh, real quick is um, uh, I have had depression myself in the past. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that someone said to me was, you just need to show up. (laughs) And that means that even if you don't want to get out of bed and go to work, you got to do it. Absolutely. You don't want to go to the gym, you got to do it. You don't want to eat well, you got to do it. And sometimes what you got to do is you just got to be disciplined. It's harder than you know what, but you just have to do it. Well, yeah. And, and you know, the prescription for that, anxiety is feeling the fear and doing it anyway, okay, in a nutshell. But with depression, we are asking people to fight through what seems like some of the toughest times of their lives when they feel like they have the least resources they've ever had. So here you are feeling like you have no energy You're feeling like you're completely drained and zapped. And I'm saying, get up, go, fight through it, put a smile on your face, put your hand out, shake someone's hand, engage with people, Um, all of these things to get a person going. The good news behind that is you take step one and step two is easier. You take step two and step three is easier until you practice these things so often that long before you can crash and burn in a major depression, when you start to feel yourself tipping down, you stop yourself and you really get a handle on what's going on and have some skill sets that can lift you right back up. Right. Yeah, that's well said. So on all of that, David then, after this happens, he writes a psalm. Psalm's like a poem. And Psalm 51, and and I'm not going to read all of it, but here's what he says um, in terms of getting help when you're depressed. And sometimes it's self-inflicted. So this is for David is more of he's caused the harm that he's now depressed from. He says to the Lord, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. And here is one of the most famous uh, verses in the entire Bible, you'll hear this many, many times in church. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. 
Create in me a pure heart of God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Mm. And for the, you who are listening, when Michelle's talking about when you're in a situation, whether it happened to you or you caused it to happen, like shooting yourself in the foot, remember what David says here when he talks with the Lord. He says, create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me because David knew he was going to have a battle getting out of this depression. And for those who are listening, when you are in this situation, go to the Lord first. Ask the Lord to bring people to you to help you walk your journey of, of, of uh, recovery, if you will, out of the mm-hmm. depression. Also realize sometimes it takes a long time. Um, we have a microwave society. We want everything to happen now. And what happens sometimes is when you're in depression, you just want to get better now. And it doesn't always work that way. And you can get really frustrated and you can get bitter and you can even go even worse. So sometimes you just have to realize, you know what? This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Mm -hmm. And I'm training to become a better person. And I want to learn from this experience. And I want to gather information so I can better manage myself when I come out of this. So when you when David's talking here about the steadfast spirit and things like that, Michelle, how would you, what would you say about those types of things to help people when they're in when they're in a depression oh and they're trying gosh. to come out? Oh my gosh! And you know we're asking them to do the hardest thing at the hardest time, but it's so true. I think, you know, one of the things that we all need to do, no matter how much or how little we have uh, at any given time, is to be grateful for whatever it is. Um, Going back to what we said earlier, Randy, even the challenges. I know we had spoken last time and I uh, shared about the most difficult time in my life where there were about four years where I was depressed. And it started out situationally, um, losing a home, losing a marriage, losing income, losing support, losing all of that. And little by little, having to grow and learn and work my way out of it. And many, many times that you feel defeated. But if you have that faith in the Lord, and next to that, keep doing the next right thing, no matter how difficult it is, each day, one day at a time, which is what AA speaks about is one day at a time. And even, you know, we think about the Bible where he says, give us this day our daily bread. He doesn't say the next five years bread. He's saying right now, right now. And I think that's what we need to do is say, I'm going to get through today. I'm working hard. I'm doing the right things. I'm connecting with the right people. I'm watching my thoughts. I'm being grateful for what it is I have. And I'm even going to try to be grateful for this challenge because for whatever reason, God allowed this into my life. And so I believe this must be part of my journey. I want to talk about what Michelle just said. And for those who are listening, um, if you're listening to this, rewind where you where you are right now and re-listen to what she just said because it's powerful and it's so true. And it goes right to what I'm going to talk about next. Jesus um, was teaching people, and there's a, a part of the Bible, it's called the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes is where Christ is in front of four or 5,000 people, and they're, he was like a rock star, and they're following him, and they want to hear everything he has to say. And in Matthew, there are the Beatitudes, and everybody is quiet and they're listening to him. There's a number of things that he says, but these are, this is the first two things that he talks about. 
And I want you to listen to these very carefully because they dovetail exactly with what Michelle just said. This is what Christ says. This is God saying this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first one. Next, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So if you're out there and you're depressed right now and you feel poor in spirit, you know what God's saying to you? You have the kingdom of heaven. So, Michelle, when you hear God saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom in heaven, how does that strike you coming from God, knowing that when people are poor in spirit and they're down and they're depressed, what's God saying to those people? Well, I think if you look at the the serenity prayer, which originally was a religious prayer for AA, where they talk about, uh, give me the strength to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. If you go on in that prayer, because it's a longer version, and I, I forget the name of the individual who wrote it, a German individual, but he says, and to accept this world as Jesus did, with all of its flaws, and to not expect this world to be perfect, but to expect that when we get to the kingdom of heaven, that our reward will be there, to have that divine peace and comfort and love with Christ in heaven. So I think that's what he's saying, Randy, is that, you know, right now, folks, we're on planet Earth. So sorry about that, but stuff is going to happen. You know, we're there. But when we die as children of Christ and we are in heaven, we will be healed. And I think with that faith, what we're doing is we're knocking out one of those three Ps that uh, Aaron Beck talked about. We're knocking out that permanent and – well, two of them, actually, the permanent and pervasive, because we're saying, doesn't matter if it's bad. I'm going to get through it. I have faith in my God. I'm developing faith in myself, and regardless, I have a choice as to what I'm going to do. I am going to choose what I believe to be the next right thing. I like that. Um, We're going to dovetail in on that, too. This is from Matthew. Again, this is uh, Jesus and talking about worry. And let me read this because this dovetails beautifully with what you just said. So Jesus, again, you know, God incarnate on the earth, talking with people. Here's what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spend, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splendor, by the way, Solomon was the next child from David, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the the key. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. 
Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> so when you hear God saying that, Michelle, how does that tie in with what you and I were just talking about a well, moment ago? I'm smiling as you're reading that because I'm thinking, you know, you and I, Randy, are both people of a certain age, <laughs> 29 and over, um, who hopefully have a little bit of maturity and wisdom where you can look back now and you can see the hand of God in every positive thing that happened in your life. You can look back and think, oh my gosh, you know, um, the, the Holy Father made me meet my wife. You know, he arranged so that I could meet my wife. And then from that came my beautiful children. And from that, now I have, you know, a, a son-in-law and a daughter-in-law and, you know, grandchildren one day, what have you. And I think in the same way as we get older, we also see, wait a minute, I'm looking back on these struggles and these difficult things in these times when I've stumbled and fallen. But I can also see how Christ has used those things to really hone me and sharpen me and make me a better person. That's the advantage of age. And so when we go back and we're talking about the younger people who don't have that same advantage, that's where knowing certain skills and being able to provide a certain skill set. And a lot of times, if a parent is educated uh, on the things that we can do to to sort of work through depression, hold depression at bay, then they can help their children as well with a lot of these things because they're entirely learnable, they're entirely teachable, and they're entirely coachable. Um, what if you got a parent who's not there for you, an absentee parent, a parent who has their own struggles with depression mm-hmm. or... Uh, a mental disorder, or they're an alcoholic or a drug addict. I mean, what, what do you do if you're in that situation? Yeah, that's tough. I mean, it's really tough. I mean, who because, do you go to? Well, I mean, you've been learning how to do things maybe the wrong way, right? Modeling behavior of people who weren't so emotionally healthy. Um, but I would say go to a school counselor and be, or a school teacher and a pastor at a church, a priest at a church, and be very transparent about what's going on. There is always help. There is always help. There will be people there to help you. And generally, these resources, the counselors, the teachers, what have you, they have a whole handbag of people and resources that they can reach into for children who don't have access to that. Because really, how's a kid going to know? And you're obviously not going to have the money to go out and pay a private therapist hourly to help you on that kind of an issue. But that's what school counselors should know about, and they do know the resources in their area to help. Right. I've got one last reading I want to do from the Bible. In 2006, I had a really bad depression. I think I was depressed for, I don't know, a year, maybe even two years. Uh, Some of it was situational. Most of it was self-caused. And I remember saying to myself, Lord, you got to help me because I'm really having a hard time. I mean, it's bad. And I remember the Lord saying to me, I want you to read Philippians. And there's a verse in there I want you to read. So I went to Philippians. And I'm going to read this for everyone. And this is what got me through. I still read it. I still recommend it to so many people who have depression. And I call it the anxiety prayer. And this is from Philippians. Uh, it's four through eight. I'm going to read all of it. Here's what, it, here's what the Lord says. Re, uh, actually, this is uh, Paul writing this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. 
the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Many times people stop there, but there's another part which is very important, and I want to read it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Look at that, the first CBT. Mm-hmm. I mean, Michelle, you were talking. What does CBT mean? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay, so tell Think me. Think he's how talking this... about the thoughts. Whatever that is I... pure, whatever is noble, whatever is kind, whatever is righteous, whatever is, you know, think about those things. We we have to consciously get the self defeating things out of our heads. That's where we have to take responsibility. When somebody has their finger pointed out, saying they make me depressed, and that situation makes me depressed, and work makes me depressed, and what have you, those things may be partially true that they don't like their work, that they're upset with their spouse, that their friends have upset them for whatever reason. But we still are responsible for how we process that information and how we choose to think of it. You know, um, I remember in um, the Christmas Carol story that Ebenezer Scrooge wasn't the best boss in the world. But, you know, Bob Cratchit saying, you know, I, I appreciate Mr. Scrooge because he puts a roof over our head and what have you. Now, you know, he could have gone the other way and been more depressive. And his family supported him in that as well. And I think um, that we have to lift one another. One of the points that was just made earlier is that in this age where somebody may have 5,000 Facebook friends, but not one really genuine friend, I would say, you know, close your Facebook account and spend next year trying to develop just two really genuine friendships. And make sure with those people that you are transparent, that you are honest, that you are supportive of them, that you are lifting of them, and that you make sure with one another that that is a promise that you make to one another, that you will be there for one another through the thick, the thin, the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, every just we're getting ready to wrap up here, and just for those who are listening, let me summarize uh, a lot of what we've talked about because I thought today was just wonderful. Um, remember who you are in the Lord; He's with you; He's never going to forsake you. Go to His Word. Get people in your life. You're not; you're never meant to do this journey alone. God's with you; they're with you. Um, reach out to your parents if you don't have parents that you can talk to. Go to a therapist. Go to a school counselor, go to someone who um, has the ability to listen, go, go to church, somewhere where you in confidence can get some good counsel, develop some healthy habits, show up, uh, do some healthy things. Uh, you can volunteer. Um, one of the things I want to share with everyone, I've said this before during the podcast, number one way to get out of depression, volunteer. Go out and start focusing on other people. Be outward focused, not inward focused. You will be amazed at how that will help you. That's a spiritual truth right there. When you start loving on others, you will come out of your depression. It may not happen right away. Remember, it's a journey, 
but it will happen. Um, do the right things. Sleep well. Eat well. Exercise if you can. Read quality things. Put the Lord's words in your mind. As Michelle said, focus on the things of God and start putting in your mind things like, I'm a child of God, as opposed to, I'm not worth anything. Um, I have nothing to do versus, I'm here to share the good news of how much God loves me and loves you. I can't make an impact. Well, you could say to yourself, you know, all these things that I'm learning right now through my childhood, through my young adulthood, through my divorce, through my car accident, all these things I'm learning, when I'm done going to school on this, there's going to be other people out there that can learn something from me and I can share with them how I was able to have victory and overcome all of this depression with the help of God and others. Does that make sense, Michelle? I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Absolutely. And then just before we wrap up, um, with this new technology, how do we how do we put it in a proper perspective when we are dealing with depression? For example, if I'm someone who's being depressed or I'm depressed or whatever, I'm having a really tough time in school, let's say, with the, the, the cyber bullies, if you will. Should I even be looking at Facebook anymore? Should I even be looking at social media? I mean, well, how, how do I, in a healthy way, deal with that? It's a personal choice, but I think that personal choice needs to be made with the advice, again, of parents or, you know, adults, uh, mature individuals, emotionally mature individuals who can help you come to a wise decision about whether or not that might be the right thing for you to do. If I'm an older person, let's say I'm in my 20s or 30s or 40s even, and I'm in depression, and let's say that I am fearful of telling people how bad it is because I think they're going to reject me or I think I'm going to be shamed. Or well, how, how should I deal with that type of feeling? I think most people will find uh, just the opposite. And uh, again, I think that's part of the awareness campaign, Randy, and why I made that post on Facebook saying, who here reading this right now? has never been depressed in their life. Not one person said, me, I haven't. You know, every single person came in and said yes. And I think we're all honored, really, uh, when someone comes and shares a difficult thing with us. We don't feel um, taken advantage of. We don't feel bad. We want to help. We want to do what we can. So really reaching out and connecting is absolutely huge. I agree. Well, I want to say thank you for everyone who is listening, and hopefully we'll hear this in the future. And I want to leave you with uh, the blessing. Uh, again, God loves you. He wants you. He cares about you. He knows everything about you. And he wants you to walk with him. So with that, to say thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. for listening to T. Randolph and Friends. Please write to us or check out our website blog and conversations at trandolphandfriends.com. We would love to hear your thoughts on topics and guest ideas for future shows. We are listening to life. Whoa.